Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Dr. Paul Kengor. He's professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, senior academic fellow at the Institute for Faith and Freedom, and he is now editor of The American Spectator, uh, author of a number of important books, uh, The Devil and Karl Marx, A Pope and a President. Uh, he's done a series of spiritual biographies of Ronald Reagan, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush, and most recently, with Mary Nicholas, he's written The Devil and Belladad. And Paul, good to have you here. Thanks. Al, it is great to be with you. Thank you very much. In the first, uh, in the first hour, I had a few words to say about the distortions that become conventional wisdom, oftentimes in, in popular conversation and in media portrayals. Yeah, I heard the show. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. So, Ronald, Ronald Reagan was portrayed as a nuclear cowboy couldn't wait to blow the Soviet Union to smithereens. <laughs> uh, in fact, he was a nuclear abolitionist. Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's one of many caricatures of Ronald Reagan that, 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 were, that were kind of smears. They, they weren't accurate at all. And, I mean, look, one of the things that Reagan is famous for, the Strategic Defense Initiative, which Ted Kennedy... Um, try to make fun of by by calling it Star Wars. Right, right. You know, try to fit it into like you know, mm. old Ronald Reagan. You know, he's, he thinks he's in the movies again. <laughs> he's Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. And, but but the, but the whole thing, the Strategic Defense Initiative, was about, as Reagan put it, trying to render nuclear weapons obsolete. That's right. how he put it in March twenty third, nineteen eighty three, um, SDI speech. And you know that was all about getting rid of mad mutual assured destruction yep. so it's yep. very ironic reagan said how ironic it is of liberals to, to to think that everything will be all right if each side the u.s and ussr each have enough missiles to blow each other to smithereens <laughs> and that and that that will be some sort of a stabilizing deterrent reagan said wouldn't it be better if we had something to render nuclear weapons obsolete and also too al and everyone forgets about this reagan offered to share SDI with Gorbachev and the Soviets. Yeah. And people say, well, why would he do that? Well, he was still worried about future countries with nuclear weapons, um, a nuclear madman in the Middle East, you know, a, a trigger-happy general sure. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so these were all reasons to, to try to stop nuclear weapons. But yeah. they had him completely wrong. Yeah. And uh, you know, nothing, nothing new there. No. No, it's just amazing how these things persist. Uh, so that's why it's hard to do the work of revision, correction, and uh, you've done yeah. a great job in so many areas in this area, and including uh, this question of Bella Dodd. Um, you, you know, most people don't know much about her. If anything, they know there's a claim that she had something to do with recruiting and or training somewhere in the area of a thousand men to enter the Catholic priesthood for the purpose of sabotaging the church, infiltrating the church. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk let's talk about who she was first, and then we'll kind of build up to the claim. And as we get a sense of her uh, biography, uh, where's right, she from? Right. Well, so she was born in Picerno, Italy, in 1904, and she had this this beautiful Italian Catholic name, uh, Maria Assunta Isabella Visono, you know, named for. For Mary, the Blessed Mother, the Assumption of the Blessed Mother, she she had this idyllic childhood in Italy. 
I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> and and you know, the, it, the people, when they read the beginning of this book, they'll, I think they'll cry when when they hear about her um, to, you know, being taken out of the arms of of Mamarella and and the and the other individual back in Italy who was who was a literal shepherd who who took care of her, and she was taken to the United States with 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 her family. So her mother had. Her, her mother had nine or ten children, and and then the, the the father died, so she ended up remarrying in Italy. The man that she remarried came to New York to the United States to to make money yeah. because he, he just didn't have the income in Italy. And then eventually, so little Bella stayed there in Italy, and eventually they sent back for her. She came to the United States around the age of four or five, and to to New York to the to the city of New York. She was just this, this precocious, brilliant little girl who learned English right away. Her sisters were amazed by this, her ability to, to pick up the language, read and write, just, just very, very smart. But also, unfortunately, too, she very quickly got swept up by the whole kind of socialist milieu in, in New York. Mm. And I, I talk about this in the book, that by, you know, by 1948, there was a... There's an FBI report. This is recently declassified about 20 years ago. And 1948 would have been you know, right after Bella left the party. But, but the FBI reported that there were about 60,000 Communist Party USA members in America. And of those, Al, half, half of them lived in New York City. Wow. Half of them lived in the five boroughs of New York. Yeah. yeah. So it was this absolute hotbed. It's where, it's where Communist Party USA was located, where the Daily Worker was located. Columbia University became the, probably the worst college in America uh, for, for, for swallowing up some of these people. Whitaker Chambers, yep. Thomas Merton. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and it was there that Bella Dodd, kind of a combination of two schools, Hunter College, which is in the Upper East Side of New York, right by the great St. Vincent Ferrer Dominican Church, on the Upper East Side, um, Hunter College, where she came under the influence of a communist professor named Sarah Parks. By the way, that story is sad. Sarah Parks, after indoctrinating uh, and all these other students, uh, ends up taking her own life. Oh, just that's terrible. A yeah. few years later, yeah, because of what she's in and the sort of pit of communism, communist a- a- atheism. But but she uh, she got swept up by socialism, communism, all these movements, and this brilliant young girl who could have put her talents to, to great to great use for her church ends up becoming this this agnostic, you know, if not borderline, almost atheist, socialist, communist by the late twenties and uh, late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties. Is it the appeal of communism that? Uh causes her to embrace atheism, or did she become an atheist and then latch on to communism? Well, she always still kind of clung to her faith. Okay. And and you know, and, th- and this was something that, that her comrades always tried to dissuade her of, right? You know, th- this, you know, to quote William Z. Foster in his testimony before Congress in 1929, he was asked by Hamilton Fish, who is uh, who's one of the congressmen that Bella Dodd later targeted through the party and helped smear 
as a as a fascist or racist anti anti semite. They did this to everybody, right? Everyone. They would do this to Bella, by the way, later too, when she left the party, calling them all these different names. But William Z. Foster of Communist Party USA told Hamilton Fish, he said, Hamilton Fish said, you have to be an atheist to be a member of, of Communist Party USA. And Foster kind of kind of sniffed, right, laughed, and said, well, I mean, I don't know why you would want to be a Communist Party member if, if, you, if you were a believer in religious superstition. Yeah. I mean, a religion yeah. is the opiate of the math. Right, right. So, and, and he said, now, I suppose someone could come into the party who still had some religious scruples, but they would need to be in the process of liquid, liquidating those beliefs rather quickly, or there'd be no use for them in the party. And by the way, Al, keep this in mind, as there are people today in the religious left, and including in the Catholic Church, who say, well, we got a lot we can learn from communists. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. they talk about sharing, too. Uh, you know, America Magazine, the Jesuit Magazine, in July 2019, published an essay called The Catholic Case for Communism. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> right? I remember seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> no Catholic Case for Communism. Yeah. I, but uh, but, that, but so that, that's a long answer to uh, you know, Bella in these kind of moments of despair as she, over time, learned how evil the party was and describing communism as evil, as satanic, as the devil, you know, trying to break away she would she would kind of cling to her to her New Testament, hmm. to cling to her Bible and and go back to it and go back to it. But she knew that the party that was verboten in the party, as was, they told her not to have children, and and she ached for children. She wanted children so bad. Hmm. She and her husband uh, Thomas or John Dodd, who, who she married, and uh, but the party told her not to have children. The party told Whitaker Chambers and his wife to you know, abort their first child. Wow. Um, Alger Hiss's wife, Priscilla Hiss, who, who helped them pilfer all those documents and retype them on that typewriter, yeah. she had an abortion, and it um, made her infertile and wrecked her psychologically for the rest of her life. Oh. So you know, that whole abolition of the family thing in the Communist yeah. Manifesto, yeah. they yeah. took that very seriously, and and it really uh, took a toll on Bella Dodd, one of many things that turned her away from, from the party and communism, ultimately. Did, did her function, uh, what did she do in the party? I mean, she, did she rise the ranks? Did she, was she a foot soldier? Did she get to uh, editing magazines? I mean, what, what did she actually do? Wrote for all the publications, you know, masses and mainstream, new masses, which was um, edited by Whitaker Chambers, <laughs> right? When Chambers That's was funny. spying for the Soviet GRU, yeah? Yeah, yeah, daily worker. And at one point, she became a member of the National Committee of Communist Party USA. And here's why why she's such a big deal, Al. She she became one of the highest ranking, if not the highest ranking, female communists in the United States in the party. Wow. And, and her great task, which she was really just a master at doing was organizing the education front. So, so she, you know, she took her skills as a college professor at Hunter College. She was, she was an attorney by training, went to NYU as well as Columbia and, and, and Hunter College. Okay. And she organized teachers, but she also organized the Longshoremen uh, Union, a number of other different groups. She had in 1936... Um, the year Fulton Sheen said was the year that 
they began the infiltration of the Catholic Church. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But 1936, she turns out 500 Communist Party member teachers in New York to march in the New York May Day Parade. And, 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 you know, her comrades in the party were just dazzled at her ability to do this. They, they had, there were 10,000, she testified to this under oath in Congress. There were, there were 10,000 members of uh, teachers in the New York State Teachers Union, which was the largest state teachers union in the country. She placed a thousand communists out of the 10,000 in that group. And, and, and she knew, like Manning Johnson, a prominent ex-communist African-American, pointed out, he said, look, all we needed was 60 to 70 people who were hardened Communist Party members, and we could hijack an organization of 10,000 people with no problem. Hmm. But, but if they could get 1,000 teachers out of 10,000, yeah. I mean, they totally had that union, totally. Paul, hold it there. We'll come back continue the conversation. My guest is Dr. Paul Kangor. The topic... The Devil in Belladad is the title of his newest book, uh, co-authored with Mary Nicholas. One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. I'm Al Krista, and we'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Dr. Paul Kangor, has co-authored The Devil in Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. We're getting familiar with Bella in the first segment. And I'm just curious to give an idea of her relative importance. Um, The FBI, did they have a file on her? Is Is she involved in, is she ever listed in these indexes that were developed? They had a massive file on her, Al. And in fact, I began filing FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, to get her file declassified. Started around 2019, and I've never seen it delayed for so long. Huh. In fact, um, I, yeah, I thought I would have it her file by the year 2020. And by the way, she died in 1969. Yeah. The, the fact that her file had never been released is really remarkable. And so it took... They released to us over over several batches about twelve hundred pages wow. of her FBI file. Now you and have experience uh, with these things. Is that a lot? It's a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest files I've ever seen. And and when you look at the actual index and table of contents and and all the other stuff in the archives, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of pages on her. That I, I don't I don't think I could ever get get to all of them. Wow! I, I mean, it would take probably decades of working through the bureaucracy, filing all these different things, and I'd love to go through it because I bet there's something in there on the church infiltration. I I and, love to, and, yeah, it'd be great if you could do that. Yeah, yeah, and and although and this is getting ahead of the conversation, she told she told Fulton Sheen told her. And, and Alice von Hildebrand told us this. Uh, Mary Nicholas, my co-author, and myself, we, we, we interviewed Alice. Alice died at age 98 last January 2022. And Alice knew Bella Dodd. And, and the very first time that, and, and in fact, Alice wrote about this in her memoirs. She wrote about it for Crisis Magazine. She wrote about it a number of places. 
she did an interview um, that's posted on YouTube by Michael Voris, where she talks about this. She's absolutely consistent in her words, beautifully, every time she talks about it. But uh, she and Dietrich von Hildebrand, her husband, met Bella Dodd in, uh, I think it's 1965 or 67. I give the exact dates of all this stuff in, in the book. And, and, and Dietrich said, said uh, you know, I just have this feeling that, that perhaps the church has been infiltrated. Hmm. And Bella Dodd said, you feel it. I know it. Yeah. And, and, he, and he said, you know it. What do you mean? Tell me more. And, and she, she told Alice von Hildebrand and Dietrich von Hildebrand that when she was organizing for the party, she helped place, uh, you know, a, a thousand or over a thousand communist men in the Catholic priesthood. Now, people listening right now thinking, "Oh, well, come on, they would, they wouldn't try to do that." Actually, this is exactly what the Communist Party was doing with a mainline denomination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They did it to the Presbyterian Church, to the Methodist, the Episcopal Church. I, mean, I, I, I quote in this book, and I've been quoting in other books for a decade, uh, Earl Browder. The, the head of the Communist Party speaking to Union Theological Seminary students in New York in 1935, saying, you may be surprised to know that we have preachers, preachers who are actual Communist Party members, yeah. right, in the pulpit. So they, had, it, it, they did this with the Russian Orthodox Church. They did this to churches throughout the, behind the Iron Curtain. So it's no surprise that they would try to do this to the Catholic Church. Right. And and, and, and and knowing what Bella was capable of doing, I mean, a thousand communists and the ten thousand member teachers union. We, we go through the, the data in this book. There were there were thirty to forty thousand priests in America at the time that she did this, nineteen thirty six. By nineteen by the early nineteen sixties, there were almost sixty thousand priests yeah. in the United yeah. States. So the idea. I mean, if they would have said to her, can you place the thousand, she would have said, yes, comrade, right? Yep. She, I mean, she yeah. would have saluted the red flag. I, now, now, whether or not she was successful in doing it, did they stay? We, right. we quote Solanus Casey, blessed Solanus Casey, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we've, we've met these red infiltrators. Um, it's kind of funny. They're very disciplined, very smart young men, but, but you know, they become exposed pretty quick, <laughs> right? Interesting. Because... Yeah, what it takes to actually go through seminary and become a Catholic priest. Right. Right? Well, that's right. And this has always been, and you and I have talked about this off the air, too, it's always been the thing that eats away at me on this story, is that we don't have um, people who went through the process, infiltrated the Church, and then had conversion themselves. And uh, he finally fell away. I mean, that's a lot of people uh, to place to in there. Talk about it, right? You know? Yeah. And um, uh, do you do we know where she? F- how, like with the teachers' unions, we know we've got an institution of teachers. How how would she have gotten? How explain to me how she could have gotten a thousand? Was she able to do? Did she go to seminaries regularly? How did she manage that? She, she she didn't say she did she didn't explain. By the way, okay. with the the teachers recruiting that she did, the, she and the party took that stuff and literally put it through the shredder. Uh, they set it on fire. Okay. Uh, when when she was an attorney representing the party, testifying at the Rap Coder hearings on communist infiltration in New York, Al she actually burned evidence. Yeah. 
She talks about it in School of Darkness, her memoirs. Yeah. I mean, these were some of the hideous things that, 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 she, that she did. But, um, what, and the reason that she didn't talk about it was, um, was she, she told Fulton Sheen, by the way, put these dates together. So Sheen brings her into the church. She's baptized and has her confession on April 7, 1952, in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Three weeks later, April 28, 1952, you can't make this up, there's an article on the front page of the New York Times. Okay, this is documentary evidence. Front page of the New York Times. It says, it, it says uh, Bishop Sheen in Rome speaks of red infiltration of churches. <laughs> and, and the article talks about, church, uh, about Sheen speaking at the church of Santa Susana, the American church in Rome, where he talks about how in the year 1936, a call went out to recruit seminarians at an at a, at a, organized in a large American city. <laughs> Clearly, this is New York. Yeah. Clearly, he's getting this from Belladon. Clearly, yeah. he's getting it from, from Belladon. Now, according to Alice von Hildebrand and, and others we talked to, um, she, she was told uh, Belladon felt so bad about what she did and her role in this, that she said to Fulton Sheen, she said, Bishop Sheen, I want to go into the harshest penitential order on the planet and spend the rest of my life on my knees making reparation mm. for what I did. Yeah. And Sheen said to her exactly what Pope Pius XI said to Fulton Sheen. He said, no. He, he, he said, I, 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 I don't want you to name names. This will create a scandal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go warn the world and the country and the culture about the evils of communism. And that completely lifted her up because she was wiped out. I mean, probably she was depressed, walking around alone, maybe even thinking of, of ending her own life. And when Sheen kind of commissioned her to do that, that, that gave her cause to fight, yeah. to be not afraid. And, and, I, and I can't prove this because I'd have to look it up, but with my knowledge of, of communism and, and communists and ex-communists, I think, Al, that she had to have been, she had to have given more testimony against the party after she left the party than any other female figure in the history of the United States Communist Party. Wow. She became this absolute tour de force. And, and here's another thing. Any of these priests that she might have, that she might have reported um, that were still in the party, I mean, they were... <laughs> Yeah. They were not going to come out and say who they were. Right, right. Um, now, you would hope that maybe some of them who had changed, uh, yeah, if uh, they were still in the part. Yeah, and, and you and I both, you know, we we wonder, well, there's got to be one or two out yeah, there, right? Yeah. And we, yeah, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those chance. things where you, you think so, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, the story's not entirely done. Other people are going to continue to do research here. The role of the Communist Party in the United States uh, is an important area of study. I am curious, do you know, was there anything in the uh, Soviet files uh, regarding her, the KGB files? Not that, not that I know of, okay. although she was being followed by both the KGB both and the FBI, and she was aware, like Whitaker Chambers, of other ex-communists who had disappeared. Yeah. Um, who were killed. In fact, she spoke in Omaha, Nebraska, I think 1962, 
and she talked about Juliet Point, who is um, an extraordinary story. Someone should do a, a book and a movie on this woman. Hmm. Um, she was she was from Nebraska. She joined the party. I think uh, she might have been Columbia University as well, and she tried to leave the party, and she she was she was literally assassinated, wow. and and you know, she you know, she was infamous in the party. Yeah, you know, that you know, that that you know, that's a story that was very well told. You know, pe- people knew about that. So yeah, you know, so she so she was afraid of that. Chambers was afraid of that. So so they they feared for their lives. And when she broke away from the party in 1948, the party did to her what it did to everyone. And by the way, what she did to people in the party, they smeared her. Yeah. They went straight to the playbook. We open, I think, chapter um, two of our book where. She takes a phone call from an AP reporter who says, uh, Dr. Dodd, I'm so-and-so from the Associated Press. I've got a statement here from the Communist Party. It says that you are um, anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Puerto Rican, anti-Negro, uh, pro-fascist, pro-Nazi. Al, they've been doing this for 100 years. <laughs> this is what they do. And she said, I have no comment. And, and, and of course, she realized, well... This is what I did to Hamilton Fish. Yeah. This is what yeah. I did to Senator Rapp. This is what I did to everybody else. And you know what? Now I'm just getting back what I did to everybody else. Yeah. Character assassination. Now they're going to do it to me. And it depressed her for a while until she she went to D.C. one day as an attorney working a case there, trying to make some money, met with Congressman McGrath, who was her, her Brooklyn congressman. And McGrath said, Bella, you look really wiped out. Isn't there anything I could do for you? And she said, no, I've got the FBI following me, the KGB following me. And she said, he said to her, how about, um, would you like to see a priest? And she said, yes. <laughs> and, he said to his, and he said to his secretary, Rose, let's call Monsignor Sheen at Catholic University. <laughs> and he uh, picked up the phone and said, Dr. Dodd, come to my apartment. Debbie Chase, Maryland, tonight. I'll see you. Well, we'll pick it up there on the other side of the break. Dr. Paul Kenger, my guest. Our topic, Bella Dodd. He is co-author of The Devil and Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Paul Kengor, looking at The Devil and Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption, uh, co-authored, uh, Paul co-author with uh, Mary Nicholas. Uh, Paul, so she's, the, the year she uh, returns to the Catholic Church, what, what year is that, 52? Yeah, so it's 1951 when she's at uh, Congressman McGrath's office, and and, uh, and and McGrath says to his secretary, Rose, hey, why don't you call Monsignor Sheen over at Catholic University? <laughs> and so they give, they give him a call. And, uh, and he invites her over to his house or apartment that night. And, mm-hmm. and she writes about this in her memoir, School of Darkness and Elsewhere. So she's wiped out, Al. She's completely wiped out. She's, she's at the end of her rope, and she's on her knees, right? And she, you know, she makes her way to his house and you know, opens the door, goes in, and she said, it was just like on TV. He had this giant pectoral cross that he was wearing <laughs> looked exactly like he did on tv and he put out his hand and he said dr dodd welcome he called her dr dodd mm-hmm. and and she said you know if 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 he had responded to me like the communists would have he would have said 
you old Bolshevik bag, you, know, <laughs> you hag, what are you, what are you doing here? Yeah. But instead, she said he was all mercy, all mercy, all forgiveness, all kindness. And, and, he, and he said, Dr. Dodd, I could tell you're really bothered. And, and she said, how can you tell? And he said, well, you know, we priests are kind of like uh, doctors of the soul. And we could just look at a patient sometimes and tell what's wrong with them. And she started crying and she started sobbing. And he put his hand on his shoulder and said, there, there, go ahead, you know, cry, cry. And she let it out and, and he put his arm around her. And she said within minutes, and she doesn't even remember how it happened or how they got there, they were in his private chapel kneeling together in front of a statue of the Blessed Mother. And, and, and wow. he talked to her. And, and he gave her a rosary, and he said, listen, I'm going to be in New York again. And he, it was the, 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 the propagation for the faith office that he was in charge of. He said, I'll be there again in the winter, in the spring. Why don't you come up, and I'd be happy to give you instruction into the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so, so she did. She returned to New York. He did. And, and it, she had this really moving Christmas of 1951 where, She's wandering all over New York, from church to church, by herself, taking buses, taking the subway, completely lost. And, and she finds Sheen, and Sheen met with her you know, regularly throughout the spring of 1952, and then brought her in on April 7, 1952. Wow. Uh, this is—so what was she—do do we know what she was thinking— about uh, Joseph McCarthy at this time? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the McCarthy committee called her the Falcon. That they, had was her a, they had a name for her. Yeah, they did, <laughs> yeah, and I never knew that, Al. I don't think anyone ever knew that, but I, I saw it in the FBI file, and I thought, oh, wow, they called her the Falcon. That's, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> so, and, and she was, uh, by the way, the FBI file also said that she was on the security index and that's a big deal. Not many party members. You had to be very high up in the party to be on the security index. Okay. And that meant that if a war ever broke out between the United States and the Soviet Union, she could be immediately arrested wow. as, a, as a person of very high-level influence. Um, Barack Obama's mentor, Frank Marshall Davis, right. was also on the security index. Okay. So, 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 so that, that was a big deal. By the way, I should, I should say this on, on your show now. If, um, if anybody is listening, we, we, we interviewed for this book um, with the help of uh, Kevin Simmons, a good friend, yep. a meticulous researcher, yep. um, Janine Leininger and, and her husband, Paul. Janine died last June. They, they, both, um, they both heard Bella Dodd say that she helped place over 1,000 communists in seminaries. Yeah. And they they signed a sworn affidavit noting where they were, where they heard her say it. They went on record. And we also found a woman named Sherry Finn, who's still alive and lives in California today. Mm -hmm. I think she's about 82 years old. Who was, her and her husband were at a small dinner party of about a half a dozen people near Plano, Texas in the 1960s. Bella Dodd was there. She was teaching in Plano, Texas at the time, and, and Bella Dodd told them as well. So there are probably still witnesses alive, I bet, maybe who took some of her courses, maybe who heard her speak at this gathering of about 
600 people in Orange County, California, where the Leiningers were. Uh, I mean, occasionally, in these private audiences where it wasn't being recorded, wasn't before cameras, right. she let her guard down, and she mentioned this infiltration, right? I mean, Sheen told her not to talk about it, but she was human, right? She, interestingly, she didn't write about it in her memoirs, but there is a reason for that, because, you know, you're writing a book, you're writing your memoirs, and, and your priest tells you not to publicly talk about right. it. Right. It's not going to show up in the book. But, yeah. but there were occasions in private, and I think at least one public occasion that we know of where being human, you know, she let it slip. So if anybody is out there listening right now um, who heard her say this, uh, please contact me and, uh, and let me know, because the more that we can document, the better. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> if there's anybody out there who knows anybody who was a priest who was, um, who was recruited right. Or, right. or left the priesthood, please let us know. Because yeah. uh, this is real, she she said this. The only question is to what extent did uh, did she succeed? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I think this is really worthwhile. Uh, this this would help. I mean, it it frustrates me to know that uh, Archbishop Sheen uh, warned her not to uh, give out names uh, because of right. for the sake of scandal, and of course. The the standards back in the 1950s were a lot more uh, stringent than they are today. Uh, and I don't know what counts for scandal today. I mean, right, right, right. You can name almost anything, but it would well, be nice. When, when you consider, yeah, but when you consider, Al, and, and this is a message to you know the folks at America Magazine, right, that published the Catholic case for communism. I mean, at that time. Sheen in 1948 had just published Communism and the Conscience of the West, right. which uh, Tan Books just reissued. Sheen was probably, I mean, the Church published Divini Redemptoris in 1937, mm-hmm. which called communism a satanic scourge. Yeah. That's yeah. one year after Bella allegedly did this Church infiltration. I mean, Pope Pius XII had issued a papal decree, I think 1948 or 49, listing four different grounds for excommunication for communists in the Church, telling the people of Italy they could be excommunicated if they voted for communists, Catholic publications that they could not print anything pro-communist, Dorothy Day's uh, Catholic Worker was running editorials on why Catholics cannot be communists. So so the idea that there would have been uh, communists who had infiltrated the priesthood, whoa, I mean, that was a big scam. I mean, that could have really indeed rock the church, which is why she said she should go into uh, an order, the most penitential in the world, and make reparation for the rest of her life, because she had done something that her church would have seen as a literal great, great evil. Yes, cooperation with the devil for certain. Right, Um, right. did Did she discuss her attraction to communism? Um, did she was she idealistic? Was she utopian? Did she think this was going to bring heaven on earth? She was, yeah, and, and she was convinced of that through her indoctrination in college. In fact, she talked about how at Hunter she wrote this sweet essay about how much she was attracted to monastic life huh. and the <laughs> selflessness of monks. Yeah, and uh, you know, comrade Sarah Parks, her teacher, you know, brought her in and. 
gave her the stern look to have a discussion with her about this paper, right? To explain to her, you know, in the words of Lenin, you know, why why religion is uh, medieval mildew, right? Superstition, opiate of the masses, and telling her instead about you know the glories of the Jacobin and the French Revolution. Yeah. So it was a steady college indoctrination, and she even became convinced. And and this I think is so hideously ridiculous that the way to fight fascism was to join the Communist Party, because you know the communists they did fight fascism, they right. did fight Hitler. But, but of course, you didn't need to be a communist to oppose, to oppose Hitler, right? right, right? right. It's just crazy. But, but they had created front groups like the American League Against War and Fascism and others. So, you know, so she had become convinced that you, know, you really want to fight uh, communism or fight fascism, join the communists. And then when Hitler and Stalin signed the Hitler-Stalin Pact in August 1939, yeah. I mean, well, that sent shock waves through the party, especially with American communists, yeah. American Communist Party members who were Jewish. That that um, was they felt a really lot of betrayed. them. Yeah, that was when a lot of them got, opted out of the party, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's... That was a wake up call. That was a wake up call. Yeah. So that was one among a series of wake up calls. Um. So through her later life, what is uh, what is she doing? Uh, is she working as a lawyer? Does she get into politics? What else does she do? She worked as a lawyer. She was teaching in Plano, Texas. Okay. She tried to start her own um, her own college. Oh. At one point, um, but unfortunately, she had terrible health. She had uh, a horrific childhood accident as a young girl, where her foot got stuck in a trolley track in New York and got amputated. Mm. And she spent a year in the hospital trying to recover from that. And where she read and read and read and learned more and more, she became became very bookish, very scholarly. But she was always in bad physical shape. She had diabetes. She did not take care of herself. And she went into St. Vincent Hospital in New York in 1969 for what should have been fairly routine uh, gallbladder surgery mm-hmm. and uh, ended up sort of crashing, went into a coma, and got worse and worse. And, and Al, this is so beautiful, you can't make this up. They're, they're worried, they know that uh, they need to find a priest because she's slipping quick. Yeah. And, and a priest by the name of Fulton Sheen. Oh, just happens to drop in You're to visit and check on her. And for the first time in days, momentarily, she opens her eyes, and, and she looks up, and she looks at Fulton Sheen, and, and, he, and he anoints her, makes the sign of the cross, and uh, you know, sends his, his, um, his, his pupil, his patient, yeah. right, uh, off, off into eternity. Uh, right wow. then and there in April 1969. Wow, that is beautiful. They, yeah. Did she have anything to say about the, you know, the the uh, Whitaker Chambers and Alger Hiss, or would the rise of National Review in the mid 50s? Um, yeah, I yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if she ever wrote anything for National Review, but she had to by that point. Um, probably met William F. Buckley Jr. He yeah. was. He founded National Review in 1957. Uh, National Review's board was made up of people like Whitaker Chambers, 
James Burnham, yeah, uh, Frank Meyer, right? You know, right there are two ex-communists who became Catholic, yep, like she did, and she was uh, she was a household name. She was very well known by by the fifties and sixties. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's an incredible story, uh, Paul, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, with Mary to do the work on this. It's very encouraging. Yeah, yeah. So. And thank you. Thank yeah. you for the time to talk about it. I Thanks. appreciate it. We'll talk again. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Al. Dr. Paul Kengor, The Devil in Belladad.